Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standard Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standig, and I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic. Needless to say, I spent my Sunday watching the Super Bowl, as did all of you, I imagine. Congrats to the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, and, of course, their offensive coordinator, Eric Bieniemy, who is now, you know, free and clear to come talk to the Washington Commanders about their offensive coordinator uh, position. We're going to talk about that here in just a moment, along with a new name in that search. But we're also going to talk a lot about the game. We're going to talk about the the controversial uh, penalty late, the greatness of Patrick Mahomes. And we'll talk about Eric Bieniemy and where Washington is on numerous fronts going into this offseason with our guest, the staple, one of our staples throughout the year, former Washington head coach Jay Gruden joined me. Uh, we, we did talk about the game to get that perspective. I also asked Jay about these offensive coordinator conversations. What, you know, he's been in them as a candidate and as a coach. What are you looking for? What do you act, what, what's being discussed in these conversations? Uh, we got into that a bunch more, including I asked Jay flat out what's going on with him from his uh, career perspective. So get to all that here in just a few moments on the podcast which, of course, you can find on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere you do your podcasting. Also, check out The Athletic. If you're not already a subscriber, give that a whirl. Uh, before we get to Jay, and as I said, we really did tackle a bunch of topics, uh, I do want to just uh, address a couple things here at the top. First off, if you missed it on Friday, uh, The Athletic, meaning myself and my colleague Daniel Kaplan, who does a lot of the business uh, sports uh, writing for The Athletic, we had a story up about uh, the fact that one of the rumored owners, somebody who is definitely in the mix for the team, assuming Dan, Dan Snyder sells, Josh Harris, who is, uh, is the owner, the managing partner for the NBA's Philadelphia 76ers and the NHL's New Jersey Devils, plus he's got an interest in an English Premier League, that he took a tour of the facilities last week. Uh, basically, if you're listening to this on Tuesday, a week ago today seems to be the belief. We mentioned specifically the facility in Ashburn, but I, I've been told he was in uh, Landover for, at FedEx Field as well. Needless to say, that's what you would imagine somebody who's about to make uh, or potentially bid on this huge property would do. Nonetheless, it does show a level of interest beyond just, hey, this would be kind of cool, right? And we still don't know where Jeff Bezos is at with with regards to any of this, and people can continue to speculate that he'll jump in late with a big offer. But right now, I, I, you know, Josh Harris is definitely, to me, the one to watch. Now, the Washington Post uh, backed up our story and then added that a second person had also, or a second person or group had come through as well. We don't know the name, though, of that group. So who's to say? Who that could be, but uh, more. I, I'll get more about the ownership stuff hopefully later this week and get a little more on Josh Harris. But you can check out the story on the Athletic and specifically in that story. Beyond the fact that Harris uh, showed up, it has to do with the notion of the first bids. There was a lot of reporting that the bids that were that that we've already hit the first bid process. Not actually true. Uh, 
But go read the article for more on this, or I'll discuss it later in the week as well. Basically, people needed to show an interest, but it wasn't binding. That is coming up, though, and that's where we may have learned exactly who is involved, including Jeff Bezos. So uh, go check out the article on The Athletic. Now, I mentioned the offensive coordinator situation. So today is, uh, I'm talking to you on Monday, February 13th. The NFL season, 2022 season is officially over. And that means that teams who have been kind of, you know, in 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 uh, in limbo with regard to certain moves, can pretty much kind of move forward here as as needed. In the case of Washington, that means getting a chance to interview Bianami, who of course, uh, you know, was unavailable basically the last two weeks once the Chiefs made the Super Bowl, and he was also waiting out the Indianapolis Colts situation to see if he was uh, going to be in the mix. For that, uh, they are moving in a different direction, taking uh, Eagles offensive coordinator Shane Steichen. Uh, so where does the enemy go from here? Well, the commanders are interested. We talked about that previously. The Ravens are also interested. Um, I, there could be other teams as far as we know. I, I know a lot of people keep saying, why on earth would the enemy leave Kansas City? with Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid and the team that's won the Super Bowl twice in four years to come here, not just because the Dan Snyder of it all, but as we know, Ron Rivera's situation is very uncertain, whether it's because Dan Snyder could, after if he were to somehow be around next year, decide he wants to make a different change, especially if Rivera doesn't have or has another non-winning season, or a new owner coming in just may decide no matter what happens, they want to make changes, which is often the case. And therefore, if you're a new coordinator, you could be a one and done in this town. Even if you um, sign a two-year deal, you're still on the unemployment line next year, getting paid, of course. But, you know, you want to coach, you want to coach. So it makes the whole thing uh, tricky to say the least, except for the fact that this is, Biennemi is, uh, his contract expired in Kansas City. And despite the positives that you hear about him, obviously there's been some questions o- over time. That's why he's constantly a, a, a bridesmaid in the head coaching searches for several years now. Um, there is at least some notion out there that Kansas City wants to move quarterback coach Matt Nagy into the offensive coordinator position. Now, of course, Nagy had that job previously. Then he went to take the head coaching job with the Bears and Biennemi took uh, filled in there. We'll see if that were to happen. But again, Biennemi is not under contract right now. So it's I keep saying, and I firmly believe this, that only the people who don't have other options are realistically going to consider Washington of the type of candidate we think Rivera would want, and that's an experienced candidate. So far, that's been the case. Pat Shermer, Ken Zampezi, uh, Anthony Lynn, none of those guys... Are, have have interviewed elsewhere. I, I think that's right with Anthony Lynn, right? Yeah. So now uh, Biennemi may, I mean, he's already interviewed with the Colts, but that's gone away. Potentially the Ravens, but you know, the Ravens have their own thing going on with Lamar Jackson. So that's why Biennemi could be interested in Washington, even though it doesn't seem like he should be. The question of course would be, you know, again, do you want to latch onto a place that, you could be out in a year, of course, for Biennemi. Maybe, maybe it's positioned as 
a new owner coming in wanting to make a a some sort of a splash hires him if he's like the best offensive mind on the staff. But that's still a a, a, a ways down to a ways down the road for anybody to even contemplate such things. We don't even know who'll be making those calls. So there you go. Uh, the other name though, so so Bianami will be seven candidates. We already have been penciling him in because we knew about that. Now there's an eighth, and that's somebody we've talked about before on this episode. That is former Ravens offensive coordinator Greg Roman. Of course, Greg Roman was fired after the season. The Ravens did make the playoffs, but were knocked out in the first round. Roman's teams crushed the the round the ground the ground game. Uh, obviously, with Baltimore having Lamar Jackson makes a huge help, but in the ten years. He's been an OC, including stints with the 49ers and the Bills. His teams have finished top five in rushing nine times. So we know that Ron Rivera has said he wants to to really emphasize the run game for Washington. And with Brian Robinson and Antonio Gibson, that could be a pretty uh, good deal to get somebody like Roman. Of course, his offense is also not considered to be receiver friendly. And we know Washington has uh, really good talent at that spot. So... What are you going to do? Uh, the, there's also, of course, a Sam Howe factor. That seems like that could work with Roman because Howe can use his legs and is aggressive that way. But at the end of the day, we're still waiting. Here's what I've been told. My sense is that Roman is supposed to meet with Ron Rivera on Tuesday. As for uh, the, the the Chiefs parade, Super Bowl parade is Wednesday. So I'm going to guess it would be after that. So hopefully, if we're all lucky, this thing could get wrapped up by the end of the week. No guarantees, not saying that's going to happen. But if we're lucky, maybe that is the case. And it's at least one uh, box to check on Washington's to-do list. So that's where we are on that. Of course, as as a quick reminder, the other candidates, I mentioned Shermer, Zampezi, and Lynn. There's also Anthony Brown, the Rams uh, assistant head coach and and a tight end coach who is meeting with the Buccaneers and Panthers this week. And then you have um, Eric Studesville, the running back coach with the Dolphins. Uh, Studesville, as far as I know, has not met with anybody else. Brown's met with a few teams. Charles London, the Falcons quarterback coach, has taken a job with the Titans as their QB coach and passing game coordinator. So that's where things stand there. Uh, my take has been Zampezi slash Shermer as the main guys. It's hard to think that you waited this long for Biennemi that you're not that, – that that he wouldn't be the quote-unquote favorite if he's interested. You would think that would be the case at this point. We'll see. And especially now with Roman in the, in the mix, you know, it's another guy who, you know, would, would logically get consideration for sure. Um all right, that's it for, for for me. Let's get to my conversation with Jay Gruden. Like I said, we'll start off with the Super Bowl, and then I get we get into a lot of the v- various topics. We also, I also we also talked about Sean Payton, those comments that he made uh, about about being approached by potential ownership candidates uh, for uh, for the situation here and what that meant or what that means for Ron Rivera, a whole bunch more. So here we go, Jay Gruden here on the Standard Room Only podcast. All right. We were fortunate enough to have Jay Gruden with us all season talking about the commanders and things NFL. So, of course, we're going to wrap up the season 
with Jay as well. Uh, Jay, uh, always great to see you. We we spent a lot of time when you came on asking about what your setup was to watch the game. You're at the sports bar in town, whatever it is. The, the Super Bowl is the ultimate. Where What were you doing for the game game? So before we get to everything else, what, what what's the Jay Gruden setup like for a Super Bowl? Well, first we had a big charity event I went to at an airport hangar down here. It was pretty cool. I had two huge screens set up in, in the airport hangar, and I went there for pregame. Um, and then for the game, I went to a local sports bar for the first half, and then the second half I came home because, you know, wanted to see the game more intently. Yeah, yeah, for sure. What was the uh, what what's the setup like in an airport hangar? What what what, what do do they have like food created and something to do with airplanes or what's going on over there? Oh, they had they had tons of food set up, a uh, big line of food, pizzas and chicken and chicken wings and all that stuff, salads, cupcakes, whatever you wanted. Uh, they had four bars set up. They had tables set up inside there where you could sit down and eat. They had couches and they had two huge screen TVs. It was just a little too crowded for my liking. You know, I went and bid on some uh, silent auction things and got the hell out of there. <laughs> I hear you. you. know, it's interesting. Like, I think that's always a dilemma, I think, for some of us when it comes to watching a game. It's like, look, you want to have fun, especially if it's, you know, for me, I'm not having to work a game. Um, you want to enjoy, have fun, talk to people. On the other hand, you're it's the it's the Super Bowl. You want to be paying attention to what is actually happening, and sometimes the noise, even if they're your friends or whoever, can be distracting because you want to hear what is being said or you want to really focus on the game. Is that ultimately kind of uh, where, where, where you got to? Like, hey, I, <laughs> there's too much other yeah. things going on. I just really want to focus. Well, yeah, it was a friend of mine and I know from golf, and uh, he invited me, and, and uh, really I only knew my wife and, and about three other people there, and there was like 600, 700 people there. So, you know, they weren't really my friends. Right. <laughs> so, we, so we did the right thing and uh, came to our local place here, uh, walking distance from my townhouse here, and then came back home for the second half. All right, so you got to watch the, the second half. You watched the whole thing, but you got to watch the second half more I- intently. I guess it's what's your big uh, – takeaway on the Chiefs win and I'm curious like as a, as a football guy what do you think flipped that their offense was just so dominant in the second half I think a lot of things I think the protection they gave Mahomes uh, against the vaunted eagle pass rush was outstanding you know he he did make some plays with his legs he did get a little bit of pressure but he is so good uh feeling pressure and avoiding it and getting the ball out and so accurate and I think the field had a lot to do with it. I, I, I read about Hassan Reddick falling down a lot, which you could see him on the ground a lot. Um, so they couldn't really dig their heels in. But, you know, that was a great job by Eric Bieniemy and, and Andy Reid calling plays. Um, instant, you know, the, the, the running game worked effect- effectively. The short passes worked effectively. Everything worked effectively. Then, then we got in the red zone on some crunch downs. They had some creative plays, uh, some movements, some change of direction plays that confused Philadelphia's defense. And, and and they executed to perfection. I mean, I think they had four drives, four touchdowns in the second half. Yeah, you know, a lot was made of that with the one touchdown in particular to Kadarius Tony, where he starts to look like he's he's on the far right side. Looks like he's going to do some sort of, if not an end around, he's going to run. You know, he's going to run past Mahomes in that direction. Instead, he stops, turns around. The defense you could see is completely pointing to he's going to going to the other side of the field. Instead, turns course. Mahomes throws to him and he's wide open. Clearly, that looked like a trend call that they had been going. I think I saw online there was some notion that whenever Tony had the ball in the spot, it was always some sort of an uh, an end around or something going the other way. And here they went back. How 
that seems like very impressive self scouting. But what 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 does that sort of tell you about how the Chiefs were calling plays and maybe what the Eagles were as expecting to happen? Well, I just think the defensive back played with bad eyes. You know, you expect them to go across and run across the field with them. And and sometimes when that happens, you have to avoid traffic as a defender. You have to avoid linebackers and and go around. And you got to haul ass to get over there to get in position to cover them if he runs a flat route on the other side of the field or what have you. Um, and then you lose sight of them because you're avoiding linebackers. And then Tony sticks his foot in the ground and goes back to the flat the opposite way. And they just, you know, the defender never saw him. You just kept running. And uh, as a defender, you if you're covering a man-to-man, you got to play a great eyes and watch him and stick your foot in the ground and be able to redirect and, and make the play. But obviously, his great self-scout is a man-to-man beater and, and uh, great play by the enemy and Andy Reid. Um, obviously having Patrick Mahomes makes life a lot easier. Uh, you know, we've talked about your era, you know, it, we, we, Cincinnati and here and just, you know, you've some, you got some good quarterbacks, but Mahomes is a whole other, other, other level. What, what do you, but what, but Andy Reid, like it almost feels like he doesn't get enough credit sometimes because of Mahomes. Like what just stands out to you as a coach about what, what he's been able to do and, and how Mahomes just sort of accentuates the whole thing. There's no arguing that Mahomes does things uh, with the football that not many quarterbacks can do, if any can do, um, with his arm angles, his ability to escape pressure, his ability to make plays when the plays aren't there. That's what separates Mahomes from every other quarterback in the NFL, in my opinion. Uh, play breaks down. Defense has great coverage. He'll scramble around and find Kelsey in the second or third window or Tony or whoever it is. Uh, not many people can do that. But you also have to look at some of the plays that are wide open that they create and the running lanes that they create with the play calls the play to Tony, uh, the play to uh, uh, what Sky Moore, uh, the touchdown. These are the touchdown to Kelsey and a little a little out and up down the sideline. These are well drawn out, thought out plays uh, that are good scouting, uh, good execution, and plays that are working because of the preparation that they use. So you have to give them a lot of credit for those plays, but you also have to credit Patrick Mahomes for the other plays that don't work that he makes work. Yeah, for sure. I I preach this all the time. I don't think this is I'm, me saying this to you is not going to be, uh, you know, you're going to be. Yeah, of course. Um, offensive line play, like you, but you talked about this before. It doesn't. It, you can have all all pros all in the playmaking positions, the skill positions, and a me- mediocre to poor offensive line, and it's not going to mean squat. But if it reverses course, you can. If you have the offensive line that's dominant as they were yesterday and not allowing a sack to the Eagles team that was on the verge of setting the NFL record for most sacks in a regular season and postseason combined, you can get by with a lot less stuff. And even though the chiefs have Mahomes, who obviously is, you know, the best quarterback we've got these days and Kelsey, who's an all-time tight end, the rest of their skill positions are not that exciting. Pacheco is a seventh round rookie. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster is fine, but like he's, you know, in Washington this year, he would have been like their, fourth receiver basically they have Mahomes they have Kelsey but that line that that is I just think that's such an underrated part of all this that the again people want to get wide receivers and and all and running backs that's all important but you got to have a line and then of course again it helps to have a guy like Mahomes not to mention Andy Reid scheming everybody open yeah yeah when you have the best quarterback arguably when when his career is all said and done he'll be in compared compared to Montana and Ben Brady um, and then you have a tight end that's going to go down as probably the best tight end in the history of the NFL as well. Uh, that is a big deal. You know, that's a huge deal because the tight ends are different uh, when you have a guy that can dominate the middle of the field and can line up outside and can block and can do everything and have great field, great hands. 
Um, it's hard to stop him because you play man to man. You got to bring a safety on him. You see what he does with those guys. He plays zones. He finds the holes in the zones. Um, so it's two of the most dominating players at critical, critical positions in the NFL, and that helps a lot. But you're right, the offensive line did a great job paving the way for Pacheco. Um, so yeah, it was just impressive performance. Yeah, I may ask you about the tight ends later because in terms of Washington's draft, that's something that's uh, come up. Um, obviously the it's quite, it sort of sucks that that holding call on Bradbury, James, the Eagles quarterback James Bradbury, uh, in the last couple minutes is one that a lot of people are, of course, focusing on. And we we understand why it really essentially sealed the game for Kansas City, gave them a new set of downs. They were able to run out the clock, more or less, and then um, they hit the field goal. What did you think of that call, both in terms of, I guess, do you think it was a holding call? And as a, you know, as a coach, like what level of frustration is there that they make that call? Or was it more frustrating if they didn't make that call, if you think it was a holding penalty? Yeah, I think that could have gone either way, really. Uh, you can't blame the game on that play, although it was such a critical play in that moment. But, you know, the initial call looked like they were trying to do another change of direction play where they're going to look like Schuster was going to jump inside and run a shallow cross and then pivot back out. Bradbury kind of pulled his jersey out. And then when he was covered, Schuster tried to just wheel down the sidelines and Mahomes just kind of threw it up there for, you know, hopefully get a touchdown or a PI. And they got the holding call. So the initial play was covered. But again, Patrick Mahomes, buying time, um, ad-libbing a little bit. Schuster taking that thing up the sideline uh, was a key play and a key decision by both those players to make the play and give the play a chance, and they got the call. And it was probably the right call. You know, you like to let it go in that situation when the game's on the line on third down. Um, give Jalen Hurts a chance to come down and tie the game or win the game. That would have been awesome. But at the end of the day, where the referees were standing, you could see the jersey tug, and I think they had to make the call. Yeah, I, I agree. I guess the only thing is, like, earlier in the game, Bradbury also seemed to hold Smith-Schuster on a third down. They didn't call it. And I guess is, you know, people want consistency, whether it's, you know, it's like with the baseball in the strike zone. Even if I don't agree with what you're calling a strike, just tell me where it is. At least I can know. But I guess it's, you know, there's so many plays in an NFL game. There's so many things happening on any given play that I, I don't know how you hope for consistency, but. Yeah, when you go back and watch a game film, I'm sure there'll be 10 to 15 other plays that were called or not called that the teams will complain about, and they right. probably have a significant gripe. It's that one was so glorified because of the situation um, that, you know, somebody's going to complain about it, right? I mean, there's no doubt about it, and, and the referees aren't perfect, but I think in that situation, despite the importance of that play, I do think there was a jersey tug there, and uh, you got to make the call because you can't pull a jersey. Yeah, for for sure. Um, I was going to ask you about Jalen Hurts, but I'll assume you were just impressed as as many of us were. You know, biggest game for him, and you know he could have arguably been the MVP, even a losing effort. But I want to ask you something else instead. So he's he, Jalen Hurts scores three touchdowns. Uh, he gets a, a couple of those short yardage plays, and in on some of those, there's the bush push situation that the Eagles have 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 really leaned into in ways we have not seen before. Meaning you have the players line up behind the quarterback on these short yardage plays, not just like a a running back, but like a, a a convoy behind him, such that when he gets the ball, they're legitimately pushing him forward. And one of my colleagues, Kalen Keller, wrote about this earlier in the year about the Eagles sort of mastering this. I don't like it. I don't know why I don't like it. I just feels weird to me. I'm, it's in the rules. It just feels awkward because the, the whole point is supposedly the lines are going head-to-head, -head, and who's going to win that battle? And instead, the offense is saying, no, no, 
we're gonna we're gonna put more people in our in our side of this tug of war and just push him forward. But I don't know. You tell me. What do you? I mean, it's been there for years, and nobody does it the way they are. What do you think of that play? Yeah, we did it in 2013 at Cincinnati when we were backed up at our own one foot line against Buffalo. Uh, we put two big guys right behind Andy and trying to get out of our shadow of our own goal line, and uh, it's a it's an effective way. You know, I watched rugby the other day for the first time with some buddies of mine from ireland and uh we watched ireland against france and it looked like a rugby scrum you know these guys are getting low and they're just digging down there and they're trying to get a yard and it's hard to stop you know especially when you have a, a quarterback that squats 600 pounds I don't, I don't know how you stop it and they and the chiefs didn't stop it um so it is something that i think the nfl may look into uh to try to change that rule because of the difficulty to stop it but it is part of the rules, and if you can do it and have a quarterback in the squat 600 pounds, I'd do it too. Well, and that, I was this was like the primary debate I was having at the party I was at with a couple of um, my buddies, and I couldn't articulate why I didn't, I didn't love it, but it just feels – again, it's obvious. It's been sitting there. You could do it. The, I, the Reggie Bush did this famously uh, behind Matt Liner uh, when, when USC won a national championship. Um, but that was a long time ago, and nobody's does it. And yeah, it just it doesn't. I agree. I feel like the league is going to have to look into this because I don't understand why there's so many obviously big quarterbacks. You couldn't maybe do this as easily with Taylor Heineke, but like you know a Carson Wentz type guy, he's already six five. Just he's already going to like be, have like an advantage, and then just like push him from behind with like a couple of tight ends or whatever. Yeah, I just I don't know. It, I, yeah, it, it just well, feels the key wrong. also is you got to have a good center too. I mean, Kelsey is as good as anybody is executing this. He can get low. He's not very tall to begin with, right? And he's the initial pop. You know, you got to get him, and then the guards got to come down and make sure they secure the gaps, and then you just push it on in there. And uh, I've seen some teams try to not work from time to time, not very often, but you know, I think uh, who was it? Uh, Buffalo in the end zone against uh, Minnesota when Jay, uh, when uh, Josh Allen fumbled. Uh, I don't know if it's the same uh, formation and all that stuff, but there have been some issues with it, but uh, very difficult to stop, like you said. And I think the NFL will look into it because it is, in my mind, a significant unfair advantage on those third and ones, fourth and one plays when you have a quarterback like Jalen Hurts. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's, it's definitely fascinating for, for, for sure. Um, all right, let, let me switch to the commanders. If we have time. I will see about maybe a couple other questions about uh, the league as a whole and from that game, but I do want to get some commander stuff in and I don't have Jay for his, you know, a limited amount of time. Um, you mentioned B enemy uh, as helping part of this, obviously the Kansas city coaching staff. He has been rumored to be in the mix here for Washington for the offensive coordinator position. Uh, it looks like the Indianapolis Colts are going to hire the Eagles offensive coordinator, Shane Steichen. It sounds like that announcement will come down on Monday. Um, and B enemy was, in the mix for that and to, to some degree. So it could come here, but here, here's what I wanted to ask you. We keep having this conversation with the There may be a lot of different variables as to why he has not gotten a head coaching job, but one of them seems to be, he doesn't call the plays that this seems to be something that is, is holding him back. Even though there's been other coordinators at times, including even at Kansas city that haven't done that. You've been in the situation where you've been in the call, the play caller. You've not been the play caller. Can you explain as best you know what is Bianami actually doing? If he's not quote unquote calling plays, like what is he doing that would make you think, hey, this guy is gonna be he's capable enough to take the offense over full bore, or what's there that might be the reason for people to be hesitant 
if he's not quote unquote calling plays? Well, he's been in every meeting uh, for, for, for forever with Andy Reid, and he's been in the installation process. You know, I always said that, you know, it doesn't matter who calls plays because really, I mean, it does matter, don't get me wrong, but you have situations already scripted out. You have your third and one to twos, you have your third and two to five, you have your third and six to ten, you have your red zone, you have your goal line, you have your short yardage, you have your play passes on first, second down, you have them all ready to go. You have your top five shot plays whatever you want. Um, so you have those ready to go. So it's a matter of your preparation, what you did in practice, how you're going to attack the opposing team already ready to go. Here's my top five, third and two to five calls. Okay. It's third and two. Let's work Kelsey. Okay. Here's our top five inside the five plays. Let's run the play to Tony. You know what I mean? We, so those guys are already scripted out. So Benny, the enemy has been a part of all that process. He might've put some of those in Andy Reid might've put them in whoever put it in, but he's in that process understanding why they put them in why those plays would work in those situations. And I think he could carry that over to uh, calling his own plays. Obviously, I'm sure he calls some plays, uh, just not all of them. So how does that work, though? I mean, you again, you've been in the situation where, and feel free to correct me where I'm wrong here, but like you've been the head coach and the play caller. You've been the head coach, but not the play caller. You've been a play caller mm-hmm. when you weren't the head coach. So what's that line between like, how is it that like, sometimes Andy Reid might call a play, but sometimes the enemy might call a play? Because I'm sure you jumped in at times when you weren't the quote-unquote play caller and thought, well, hey, we need to do X. So how does that work? Um, that, that sometimes oh. he might be calling the plays or sometimes he's not. How does that work? Well, you are you're, you got the headphones on. You're in consistent uh, conversations with your staff. Like I would talk to, uh, you know, Coach Callahan when we wanted a good run play. You know what I mean? What run do you like here in this situation? He'd say we run a bunch right, Z left, Wanda, whatever it might be. And we'd call that play. So Callahan would call some of the runs. Coach Furster, when he was our line coach, would call some of the runs. You know what I mean? And then when it was uh, third downs or a key situation, those were already ready to go scripted. Usually Andy Reid will call those critical ones. Uh, so maybe it's the enemy calling the running game. Maybe it's uh, Andy Reid calling the passes and uh, so on and so forth. So only one guy can call a place for the quarterback, but that guy who's talking to the quarterback does get information from each member of the staff, depending on the situation and, and the call. Is part of that all, I think we've talked about this before, but the idea of the play calling, it's not even so much like, what's your level of creativity? It's like, what's your level of creativity in the heat of the moment that you're playing for, playing for the Super Bowl and you've got to make a call here and you have 30 seconds to figure or less than 30 seconds to figure it out. But how do you know that until you actually do it, that whether or how a person responds in the heat of the moment, is that part of the uncertainty with like when, when we say somebody isn't the quote unquote play caller, it's, yeah, they don't know what they'll do in the moment. Yeah, exactly. And uh, that's that's a tough thing. You know, the critical situation plays, you know, and, and actually when you're talking about a game like the Super Bowl, any game, every game is big. Uh, you're going to have lots of critical situations. Somebody's got to pull the trigger and make the call. And that's usually the main guy, the main play caller, you know, but throughout the course of the game, you know, you might be on the bench, defense might be on the sideline or on the field and you're talking to your staff. Hey, what runs do we want to get to on the next drive? Hey, what play action pass do we want to get to uh, third down? What's our next third and five play, whatever we're going to get to. So you're, kind of preview in the next drive before the drive happens. Now, situations could change, like field position could change. You might get sudden change and be backed up, or it might be get sudden change and be in the red zone. So your thought process may have to change like that. Uh, but for the most part, you're trying to preview your next set of play calls uh, before they happen so you can go to them fast. You don't want to just, okay, it's third and five. Oh, crap, now let's look at my list. What play do I want to get to? You want to be prepared so you get it out quick. And that's one thing I think we did good as a staff here. We had very limited delay game penalties, if any, if I can recall, not many at all. 
Uh, we try to get the plays out fast so the players can get them in, quarterbacks can get them in, think about the audibles they might have to get to or or how they're going to attack the defenses, where they're going to go to at the ball. So, uh, yeah, it, it is a, a tough deal, but you try to, you know, communicate with your coaches and get the best possible personnel group out there and the best possible way to attack a defense. How many offensive coordinators did you hire? Obviously, there was O'Connell. Uh, how many did you ultimately hire when you were here? Uh, Sean was the first one, obviously. Um, you know, I, I wanted Sean because he had knowledge of the Shanahan system and we're trying to get RG3 ready to go. So we kind of intermingled our, our uh, terminology. So we didn't totally start from scratch. We, our run game, we kind of kept similar to what the Shanahan's did. Some of the play passes we kept similar. I kind of brought in more of the West Coast flavor uh, in the passing game. I thought we were a little bit better in that regard. But um, And then when Sean left, that's when I think I hired uh, O'Connell. Okay. So what I was going to – and obviously, you know, uh, McVeigh was, was here. And plus, as we've discussed before, he comes from the Gruden tree. He, you know, he's not a Shanahan tree guy adjacent. Uh, so maybe this isn't the right – Maybe this is the exact situation to ask, but Washington has interviewed six people so far for this OC job. One of those candidates has already taken another position. Biennemi would be the seventh. What do you what are you looking for in these meetings and these conversations? Assuming these are real interviews, like you know, to some degree, we all get it. Everybody is not exactly on the same level when they come in for that interview. They may already have some favorites, and some people they just want to get to know better or learn something from their current situation. But what is the thing in these meetings, if they're really up for grabs, that a person as a coach who's making these calls is looking for? Is it is it like you want to hear from an Eric Bianami, hey, it's third and eight from your own 46? What are you calling? Or is it like you want to just get their sense for their personality? What is it? What are you looking for the most in these conversations? Well, but a little bit of everything, but you also want to uh, find out how they would utilize the personnel that you have. And, uh, and, and they want to, are they going to match your identity? You know, what's coach Rivera want to be like? Cause he obviously there's been talked that he wants to be a two for one run pass ratio guy. They want to be a smash mouth football team. Does be enemy fit in that category? Do their personalities match? You know what I mean? Do they have the same beliefs? Um, obviously there's going to be different ways to attack a defense, uh, you know, empty two tight ends, three tight ends, but they have to fit the personnel with the plays uh, that they like to run. And, and, and they have to match what Coach Rivera wants ultimately. And they have to um, prove that they can motivate players and make average players good and great players even better. And that's the most important thing a coach can bring to the table is how is he going to get the most out of the players that the Washington football team has or commanders, not the Kansas City. They don't have Patrick Mahomes now. All right. No, <laughs> you know, no they don't. They don't have Travis Kelsey now. So some of those plays with Travis Kelsey it ain't going to work. So. You know, they got to be able to adjust and, and utilize personnel, uh, personnel groupings, and uh, obviously match the identity that Coach Rivera has, and that'll be the key. Um, well, let me ask you this. I'll put you a little bit uh, on the spot to a degree. So, again, I, we don't know exactly what's going to happen here. My assumption at this point is, and all along has been, it, Rivera would hire, uh, assuming that all any of these candidates are willing to come to Washington, knowing the uncertainty that's going on, with ownership and and Rivera's own status accordingly, the the ones that stand out the most likely to me are the experienced guys. That would be Kenzie and Peasy, the the quarterback coach who's already here. That would be Pat Shermer, who's been a offensive coordinator a hundred times and and a head coach twice. And Bianami, I mean, they've waited all this time, presumably to talk to him. 
he's obviously you know he's been with Kansas City and all that. So you would think to me those would be the three leading candidates. No disrespect to the other ones. They just you know lack the experience that I would think Rivera's looking for. For you, does any of those three, based on your, you know, you I'm sure have known these guys to a degree or at a minimum, you know their reputation, their what they do. Any one of these three stand out to you the most that you think would make sense? And, and just to be clear, you know, again, Sam Howe at the moment is the only quarterback here. So you've got a really inexperienced guy. You've got these playmakers at receiver. The offensive line's uncertain. You mentioned the run first kind of a thought. Based on all, all these things, is there any one of those guys that for you kind of stands out the most? Well, Bianami would be the one, probably. Um, but if I'm Eric Bianami, why would I leave Patrick Mahomes uh, for a lateral move just to call plays? You know, he's won another Super Bowl, and they're favorites to win next year's Super Bowl. Um, now, if I'm Andy Reid, and, and uh, most coaches don't let coaches go laterally, but you do have Matt Nagy on staff, who obviously would take the place of Eric Bianami, and I think they'd be fine. But um, I don't know. I think with those three names, the most exciting for Washington would be Eric Bieniemy because obviously the success they've had and him being with Andy Reid. Kansas Zampezi has been a lot of different systems. He's obviously very smart. Um, Coach Shermer obviously has been around the block a few times and, and made calls in critical situations um, and would be fine. But uh, Eric Bieniemy, I think, would probably be the most exciting for Washington fans. Yeah, I mean, the lateral move thing is odd for sure. I guess it really does come down to, you know, what does somebody want to do with their own life? But also, does the idea that you would get to really run the offense here potentially change the change how perception of how people view the enemy when it comes to the next round of head coaching jobs? I I don't know. I mean, yeah. that would be. The, but but the also situation is, what's the job security like? I know you'll, he'll probably get a three year contract, which is great. But is Coach Rivera on the hot seat next year? Do you want to leave Andy Reid, who could retire the next year or two, and that could be your job? You right. know, I. I I just don't know why he would leave uh, to go to Washington, who, let's be frank. I mean, if, if they go 7-10 and 10 next year, is Coach Rivera going to be around and they get a new owner? Uh, what's going to happen there with all the, you know, that? Maybe he thinks he could be the next head coach at Washington if that happens. Who knows? But I, it would be a real stretch for me if I'm Eric Bieniemy to leave Kansas City, Patrick Mahomes, and Andy Reid to be an offensive coordinator in the same position just to call plays at Washington into a – a uh, rookie quarterback, a second-year quarterback who's played one game. Right. <laughs> right? I know they have good skill positions and all that, but that'd be a stretch for me. But who knows? Maybe he wants to branch out. He's probably got a lot of money saved up in the bank and wants to go out and make a name for himself. But I think he's made a name for himself at Kansas City. I think everybody knows who Eric enemy is. He's done a great job there with, with that offense and with Andy Reid. Um, but who knows? Yeah, who knows? I mean, and, and Washington isn't the only team. The Ravens apparently are – I've shown some interest, and there could be some others um, as well. Now that the Super Bowl is is done, the season's effect is over. Uh, we'll see what other teams are, you know, maybe are waiting to do. There's, you know, still a head coaching job available in Arizona, not for Bianami per se, but just what's the ripple effect from from any of these hires? Um, did you see the comments that Sean Payton made the other day regarding the Washington situation? No, I did not. Um, all right, so Sean Payton, of course, just gets hired by Denver. It was rumored to be open. It uh, 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 was rumored to be in the mix for various positions. And even during the process, before he took the Denver job, there were some reports out there about a sneak. There's a team out there that if they get their ducks in a row, could be in the mix for Sean Payton. And Rex Ryan goes on TV and says, oh, I think Washington could be that team. 
All right. It, it never made any sense from a timing standpoint because Snyder's, I mean, Sean Payton's not going to go to a team with Dan Snyder as the owner. And we're, we're not getting, the team's not getting sold in the time frame in which these jobs are being available for Sean Payton. So anyway, he goes on, he goes on with, um, uh, um, Mad Dog Radio on Sirius the other day, and he was asked about the process leading to to Denver. Were there other opportunities that he considered? And this is what he said: "Quote: Everyone's waiting to see what happens in Washington. There's some interest from potential ownership groups that are going to be bidding on that have currently bid on that team that were getting ahead of the game, saying to him, "Hey, if we get awarded this team, would you?" Dot dot dot. And then he kind of veered off to another direction. So he basically was saying. That ownership groups who are potentially bidding on this team or have bid on this team hit up hit, hit him up to say, you know, well, what would you think? Again, to me, the timing just didn't make sense if he wanted a current job to, you know, as well. What now that I've just sprung that on you, he's also inferring in there that Rivera's gonna get fired if one of these other guys gets the job. What do you think of a, a current coach saying something like that about a job that's already currently that's currently occupied? Yeah, that's uh you know, it's, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't think that's the right thing to do. Uh, try not to comment on jobs that are already occupied by somebody else. Um, that's kind of the coach's motto, I guess, mantra, I guess, so to speak. Right. <laughs> so, um, you know, I'm sure there is some truth to that. I'm sure the owners that are bidding on this team, they're bidding billions and billions of dollars that before they, you know, get awarded the team, they want to try to check and feel the, you know, the scope of some other, coaches that they think can lead the team if they don't like uh, what the situation is right now in Washington. But who knows? I mean, there's probably four or five people trying to bet on this team and uh, nobody knows who's going to get it. Maybe it was just some slappy that, uh, you know, offered like $2 billion had no chance and called them. Who knows? Right. (laughs) You know, I mean, it could have been a lot of different things, but you know, it's a tough situation. You know, I I know coach Rivera is in a tight spot right now. He's got to win this year probably. And the ownership changes Uh, just another, just another obstacle a coach at Washington has to overcome uh, <laughs> to try yeah. to get some victories there. All right, that's one. That's one thing I've I've felt throughout the whole year as we've been just talking. I mean, it's you know to some degree it's unusual to have a, the former coach talk a lot about the team the, with the with the with the coach that replaced him to the degree that you have. But you know you're you're a pretty candid and honest guy. But it also felt has felt all this time of you have some some sympathy for yeah. Rivera's situation because no matter what he's doing, it does feel like Dan Snyder has been a little more hands-off to a degree than he maybe was in your era. And perhaps that's because he's been dealing with congressional investigations and all these other things. Um, but that said, I mean, you're always arriving here with one hand tied behind your back in part because he's the owner. You can't necessarily go get everybody you want because everybody knows, you know, like you know, yeah. like, like Russell Wilson last year. I know it didn't maybe work out in Denver, but he wasn't going to come here. But he's got options. Why would he come here? So I, I felt like you always had some have had some sympathy for Rivera. Is all I'm saying. Yeah, I mean it's a tough deal, man. You gotta you gotta have support from everybody in that building from top down to be successful in the NFL. And uh, if you don't have that support, it's not that fun to go into work. Uh, it's difficult to succeed, almost impossible to succeed. And uh, hopefully they get that situation rectified in Washington soon because, you know, it is one of the top franchises in the NFL and they should be, you know, competing for titles every year. And that's the feeling that everybody has there. But unfortunately, it hadn't happened. That, that was part of the other thing Sean Payton went on to say that he would uh, 
was his father, his uncle, somebody in his family was a big Washington fan when he was growing up. And he recalled being last year, the Saints played in Washington at FedEx Field. And he was like stunned to look in the stands and see like a third of the crowd was rooting for New Orleans. And, you know, there wasn't a lot of people there. And like, it's, a, you know, it should be one of the destination spots. Um, and that is what's going to be interesting to see if he, if they do sell um, what, what, what is the transformation? How many people will come back? Um, and, and, and all that. Um, I guess let me just ask you this. What, where, where are we at with you? The, the, the season's over. Um, you know, you've been obviously a, lo- a long time coach in this league. I know you've ex- expressed the idea of, um, you know, still being down to do more. You, you, you worked, you did some consulting with the Rams this year. Where are you at? Uh, right now I'm still with the Rams technically, but, uh, we'll see if that's going to happen again this year. I'm going to talk to Sean here in the next week or two and figure out if, uh, we're going to continue, uh, with that process. But other than that, I've got nothing really going. You know, I think these guys are looking to hire new blood and, uh, you know, with exception of Washington with, you know, some of their candidates for coordinator, but, uh, um, you know, you know, it's just hard, you know, um, I mean, my last two stints weren't very successful. Jacksonville, we were one in 15. And my last five games at Washington, we lost. Uh, so it's not like I'm a hot commodity. You know, <laughs> You know, I had 10 quarterbacks to deal with the last two years that I coached. But, you know, uh, I'm happy where I'm at. I got to play a lot of golf. And, and uh, hopefully I can be a part of somebody's staff uh, in whatever role that might be just to, you know, keep my hands in it. But um, enjoying life and, and uh, see what happens. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 you know, I don't feel like we need to hold a bake sale for you or a pity party because it feels like you know your your world is doing pretty well. But obviously, this is what you've spent your life uh, doing is focused on these things. And one thing I always think is so curious with football coaches is you see oftentimes like you look at somebody's resume and they will have been a linebacker coach or like like we're like with Matt Patricia with the Patriots. Like obviously, it didn't really work out. But as a guy was like a defensive coordinator and they had him calling plays Juan Castillo the, the tight end coach here in Washington was 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 the offensive line coach elsewhere in other words that coaches do different jobs and I and you see this a lot of times with like the quarterbacks sometimes I'm like wait why is this person a quarterback coach I'm not saying they don't know anything but they haven't been reared in that you clearly have been reared in quarterbacks um you you played the position this is what you've done it seems like independent of whether somebody thinks you should be a head coach whatever like you should be somebody who is with a team helping their at a minimum, their quarterback situation or their passing game or whatever. Is, is it just for you? Like at some point it's like, well, I've already been, I've already reached the mountaintop in terms of uh, position of, uh, of a coach. I, I don't want to necessarily do some of these other things or what, like, I don't know if you put it out to the universe and, you know, try to manifest it, it seems like we could get something going here now. Yeah. You know, I, there's a couple issues there. I mean, who am I working for? You know, the reason I like to work at LA is because I know Sean and uh, we go way back and I know what kind of guy he is, you know, to take a job, but somebody I don't really know and a staff, I don't really know. Coaches are very sensitive. Uh, they don't like to have consultants come in there and they feel like they're taking their jobs and all that stuff. So the communication isn't that great, but it has to be a great staff, people that I kind of know. And I don't, unfortunately, I don't know really a whole lot of people. I know Sean, I know Kevin O'Connell. Um, and I've made acquaintances with a couple other people, but I haven't really worked with a ton of people. You know, I was offensive coordinator three years at Cincinnati, one year at Jacksonville, and obviously head coach at Washington. And that's kind of my only group to the people that I know. So um, a lot of it is who you've worked with, who you know. Uh, if you're a young kid coming up, they want the new blood coming up right now. And and I, and and 
deservedly so. There's been a lot of young coaches that have done a very good job in the NFL, offensive coordinators, quarterback coaches, head coaches. Um, I'm 55. I'm not really that old, but you can see what the trend is in the NFL and who people are hiring. Fair, fair, fair enough. Well, look, I mean, you know, hopefully if you want to get back in there, hopefully they, uh, the NFL world will figure out a way to, 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 to make, uh, to make that happen. Um, I saved the best for last, of course, Rihanna. Did you have any thoughts on the, uh, on the halftime show? Um, it was entertaining. I'm not a big Rihanna fan. I didn't realize she had that many dang songs. Uh, you know, yeah. she was up there, uh, you know, I'm afraid of heights. I could have never done what she did. That was Dude, crazy. Seriously. Like no I chance. Mean, I mean, uh, he trusts those wires being that high. I mean, I, I don't understand that. And but, she's pregnant. Uh, like, it would be bad enough in general. But, like, we find out, of course, he's I was a woman. Was... I would have dropped the baby on stage up there. I would have been scared to death. But uh, I thought she was very good, man. She still she still has those pipes, and she was impressive. Yeah. I mean, like, it was, it was odd because, obviously, she wasn't moving a lot, per se. And we understand now why. But then you're like, well, wait a minute. She's still doing hanging up on this stage. Oh my god! Like that was yeah crazy. I I I'm 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 not a big fan of heights. I'm way out on that. And the fact that she's having to perform to a degree, she has such a yeah, presence, and she's with child. Oh my god! Yeah, that that, that was impressive because there's no chance I would have done that. And I'm not even pregnant. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, no, let, let, let's hope not. Uh, any, any commercials stand out for you? I didn't think it was like a great commercial year. I kind of like the one with the rock stars, where they were like, uh, you know, the the rock yeah, stars paul stanley from kiss and others like oh well hold on you're not a rock star that was a good one that was that was probably my favorite one too that's good to see those guys but you'd think with all the money that they're spending on these commercials there'd be better ones you know what i mean i mean like back in the day i just seemed like the commercials were way better but um you know i don't really remember a lot of them none of them really stood out to me other than the 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 rock star one well that i think is what yeah i think that's what's saying that because the rock star one you're using famous people, but using them in a very specific way. Cause we all do that. Oh, that someone's as a rock star in our office or whatever. And they're like, no, 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 well, hold on. You, you know, you're just, you're just making a PowerPoint presentation. Calm down. You're not a rock star versus the other ones. It's just like, here's Ben Stiller in a commercial. Ben Stiller wants you to try Pepsi. So you should do it. It's like, yeah, all right. I mean, yeah. Bradley Cooper. I mean, uh, Ben Affleck. I mean, they, 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 I'll tell you what, they use the stars. That's for sure. Um, but none of them really stood out as far as being a great commercial. I can't wait to see that commercial again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, ex- exactly. Um, la- last last thing, just to go back to, to the commanders. So, you know, they Rivera talked a bunch during this past week at the uh, Super Bowl. He talked a bunch of us, including me, about what's going on with, with their plans, including at quarterback. And they're continuing to lean into the idea of Sam Howell being the, the QB one, essentially going into the offseason program. But I, you know, Got Rivera to sort of be like, yeah, yeah, look, we're not anointing anybody. We'll see who we add, etc. If you're in this situation, and I know we, you only see Sam Howell on the games, not you know, you're not with him at practice. To what degree are you feeling comfortable going with Sam Howell as your guy? And then I guess like what level of backup, oh, not backup, what level of other quarterback do you think you realistically need to to add? Because if you add at too high of a level then he's not going to start because he's going to get beat out by the veteran. But on the other hand, you don't want necessarily just a pure backup because if you want to push him. So where, where are you on the Washington's quarterback situation now that the season's well, over? It's always been my belief. If you're going to have a quarterback start, you have to prepare him now and you have to get him all the reps and all the work, especially a young kid like Sam Howell. 
And if he's the guy you're going to anoint or, or say is your starting quarterback, then you have to let him know that he's a starting quarterback and it's his job. And uh, that has a lot that, that, that helps the quarterback's confidence where if he throws a bad ball, okay, get out of here. Let's bring in uh, Andy Dalton or whoever the backup quarterback is. Um, and then he'll throw good balls and all the players be like, ooh, man, this guy is better than our starter. And you have quarterback controversy with them. Whereas if you get a, a veteran guy like Andy, just for instance, who can go in, he's smart and go in and play and, and win games for you. There's no doubt about that. But you want to give all your reps to Sam Howell. He's got to get all the reps and the backup has to get his limited reps when it's his turn. Um, you can't have split reps. You can't have three quarterbacks compete. That was our issue my last year when we had Case Keenum, uh, we had Colt McCoy, and we had Dwayne Haskins. We're trying to get all three of them starting reps, and it just it doesn't. It's not fair for any one of those three guys. You know what I mean? Yeah. But neither one of the three guys were really like, oh my God, he's our starter. It's like, God dang, that's a good throw. Oh God, that was a terrible throw. Oh God, that was a good throw. That was, you know what I mean? So there's always a level of doubt with us we couldn't really pick the starting quarterback so we ended up going with case because colt was hurt and Dwayne wasn't quite ready obviously and and case did some good things but then he got hurt but i just think the reps are so important for a young quarterback confidence that the coaching staff can instill in that quarterback is critical moving forward and uh you just have to you just have to live with some of the bad plays and hopefully the guy continues to progress but he is athletic he can run he's got a good arm but he needs the reps and the only way to get him to him is, is announcing him as a starter. If that's the route you want to go. Uh, Jay, you've been great all season. I so appreciate the time. Um, you know, look, hopefully this isn't the the, the end. Uh, you know, we'll, they'll be making moves when, when they get, when they figure out their quarterback or their OC or whatever else, hopefully we can uh, bring you back. I imagine you may take a look at some uh, quarterback tape of this, of these draft prospects as well. So uh, again, I, yeah. I, I so appreciate all your time this year and uh, you know, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll keep talking. All right, Ben. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, man.